Hello and welcome. I'm Eric, and this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Okay, so um, this week is going to be a little different because I couldn't get together to record, but usually this is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us, but since um, I couldn't get together with John this week, uh, we're going to do something a little different, and this is going to be just an exploration of a specific thing that we take for granted every day. And so we're going to be looking at the history of water supply and sanitation, um, which is to say plumbing. So uh, this will be part one, and I'll try to keep this relatively short. So let's get into it. So pretty much since the beginning of time, life kind of revolves around water and you find larger population groups near water and that's kind of where people congregate to because you kind of need it to survive and uh, during the Neolithic period humans actually dug the first permanent water wells uh, where they could get water uh, from vessels and then carry it out by hand and the Neolithic period is starts around 10,000 BC and kind of ends around 4,500 BC. So this is a long time ago that humans started to get things moving on this front. Uh, we have found wells dug around 6,500 BC in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, we have step wells that have mainly been used in the Indian subcontinent. And at the time, pit latrines and chamber pots were the only alternative to open defecation, which is, you know, doing your business wherever you please, however you please. Um, but, yeah, so at this time period, uh, devices such as shadoofs and sakayas were used to lift water to ground level. And a uh, shadoof is kind of like a uh, seesaw-looking thing that uh, has a support, and then it has a beam that has a thing attached to it that you lower into the well, and then you pull up the water in the bucket or whatever you have attached. And a sakaya is a similar idea, but it uses a wheel. So it's like a wheel well. And, um, yeah. So, in the ruins of the Indus Valley civilization, like the Mohenjo-Daro in Pakistan and Dolavira in Gujarat, Gujarat in India had settlements with some of the ancient world's most sophisticated sewage systems. They included drainage channels, rainwater harvesting, and street ducts. 
And so then we move into the ancient age. And people have constantly been trying to figure out ways to get water into the communities and into households, as well as disposing wastewater. So there has always been a kind of focus on sewage and water treatment and um, figuring all this stuff out. And the historical focus of sewage treatment was to just get that raw sewage out to a natural body of water where it would just be diluted and dissipated and um, and so rivers would often double as a kind of crude form of natural sewage disposal and the earliest covered sewers uncovered by archaeologists are in the regularly planned cities of the Indus Valley Civilization so in ancient Rome, the Cloaca Maxima was a pretty sophisticated sewage system. Um, it's one of the earliest sewage systems. And in order to drain local marshes and remove waste of one of the world's most populous cities, it carried effluent to the River Tiber, which ran beside the city. And it was considered a marvel of engineering. And then during the Zhu Dynasty in ancient China, sewers existed in various cities such as Lindsay. And most of these early sewers received significant amounts of draft animal dung in run street runoff, but handling of human waste varied with location. Uh, public latrines were built over the Cloaca Maxima, and the first sanitation systems were built in the prehistoric Middle East, in the southeast of the modern country of Iran near Zebul. An inverted siphon system, along with glass-covered clay pipes, was used for the first time in the palaces of Crete, Greece. And still in working condition after about 3,000 years. And Roman towns and garrisons in the United Kingdom between 46 BC and 400 AD had complex sewer networks, sometimes constructed out of hollowed out elm logs, which were shaped so that they butted together with the downstream pipe providing a socket for the upstream pipe. So let's get into the Indus Valley civilization. It is in Asia. Uh, let's see. It is in Southeast Asia, kind of in the India region, uh, around Pakistan, and it shows early evidence of public water supply and sanitation. One example in the Indus city of Lothal, all houses had their own private toilet, which was connected to a covered sewer network constructed of brickwork held together with a gypsum-based mortar that emptied either into the surrounding water bodies or alternately into cesspits, the latter of which were regularly emptied and cleaned. So the urban areas of the Indus Valley civilization included public and private baths, and sewage was disposed through underground drains built with precisely laid bricks, and a sophisticated water management system with numerous reservoirs was established. 
and they connected all the houses to the wider public drains. So keep in mind, this Indus Valley civilization that had private toilets and a complex sewage system was from around 3300 BC to 1300 BC. Um, so, yeah, keep that in mind. This is uh, before the turn of the time of, you know, before everybody turned their clocks to zero and then started counting up. So, yeah, and uh, that's pretty amazing. And we haven't even gotten to the modern era. So, we also have ancient Greece. So, the ancient Greek civilization of Crete, known as the Minoan civilization, was the first to use underground clay pipes for sanitation and water supply. Their capital, Knossos, had a well-organized water system for bringing in clean water, taking out wastewater, and storm sewage canals for overflow when there was heavy rain. It was also one of the first uses of a flush toilet, dating back to 18th century BC. BC. So, this is a pretty long time ago to have a flush toilet. And we still hear about how primitive the 1800s in America were, where we just had to use outhouses. People still use outhouses. They had flush toilets back in 18th century BC. So keep that in mind. But the Minoan civilization has stone sewers that were periodically flushed with clean water. In addition to sophisticated water and sewer systems, they devised elaborate heating systems. Uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes. They had an incredible way of actually heating up an entire building with underground heating, and it's just insane. But the ancient Greeks of Athens and Asia Minor also used an indoor plumbing system used for pressurized showers. The Greek inventor Heron used pressurized piping for firefighting purposes in the city of Alexandria. The Mayans were the third earliest civilization to have employed a system of indoor plumbing using pressurized water. These are like ancient era civilizations. Okay? This is insane how much they had already developed. Um, we are a very smart species. Uh, but let's get into the Roman Empire. Okay, the Roman Empire had indoor plumbing, meaning a system of aqueducts and pipes that terminated in homes and at public wells and fountains for people to use. So Roman Empire, indoor plumbing. Okay, and they used lead pipes and while commonly thought to be the case of lead poisoning in the Roman Empire, the combination of running water, which did not stay in contact with the pipe for long, and the deposition of precipitation scale actually mitigated the risk from lead pipes. So, that's pretty interesting. But uh, some other places around this time 
We have uh, Persian Kanats and Ab Anbars have been used for water supply and cooling in the Middle East. So let's just uh, take a quick hop over here. Kanats, uh, spelled Q-A-N-A-T, is a gently sloping underground channel with a series of vertical access shafts used to transport water from an aquifer under a hill. So, yeah, this is uh, used for cooling mostly. And the Ab Anbar is a water reservoir, and it's a traditional reservoir or cistern of drinking water from in Iranian antiquity. So, uh, plumbing is also known to have been used in East Asia since the Qin and Han dynasties. So, uh, let's get into the Middle and Early Modern Age. Uh, in, me- in medieval European cities, small natural waterways used for carrying off wastewater were eventually covered over and functioned as sewers. London's River Fleet is such a system. Open drains or gutters for wastewater runoff ran along the center of some streets. These were known as kennels, or canals, or channels, if you, you know, modify it. And in Paris, they were sometimes known as split streets, as the wastewater running along the middle physically split the streets into two halves. Maybe this is the precursor to modern streets, how you have the double yellow line running down the middle, or I don't know if it's like that in every country, but uh, yeah, so you have the the split down the middle and then uh, different direction traffic on either side, so... I feel like that could be a very real possibility. But the first closed sewer constructed in Paris was designed by Hughes Albert in 1370 on Montmartre Montmartre Street and was 300 meters long. So also around this time, pale closets, outhouses, and cesspits were used to collect human waste. And the use of human waste as fertilizer was especially important in China and Japan, where cattle manure was less available. But most cities did not have a functioning sewer system before the industrial era, relying instead on nearby rivers or occasional rain showers to wash away the sewage from the streets. And in some places, wastewater simply ran down the streets, which had stepping stones to keep pedestrians out of the muck, and eventually drained as runoff into the local watershed. So, I think what's happening is in the previous civilizations, they built their cities and civilizations around water bodies. So, they had access to this thing and they could build channels to direct the water and get it to the city much easier. But then... Once we start moving, like branching out and populating other areas of the world where water was less uh, abundant, it became harder and harder to actually uh, get clean water in and get the wastewater out of the area. So um, that's probably why we kind of regressed as uh, civilization went on but anyway in the 16th century 
Sir John Harrington invented a flush toilet as a device for Queen Elizabeth I, who was his godmother, and that released wastes into cesspools. And after the adoption of gunpowder, municipal outhouses became an important source of raw material for the making of saltpeter in European countries. Okay, so in London, the contents of the city's outhouses were collected every night by commissioned wagons and delivered to the nitrite beds where it was sown into the special soil beds to produce earth rich in mineral nitrates. The nitrate-rich earth is then further processed to produce saltpeter or potassium nitrate, which is an important ingredient in black powder. And in the classic and early modern Mesoamerica, the classic Maya and Palenque had underground aqueducts and flush toilets. The classic Maya even used household water filters using locally abundant limestone carved into a porous cylinder, made so as to work in a manner strikingly similar to modern ceramic water filters. And then uh, let's talk about the modern age for just a bit. Okay, so there was a significant development which was the construction of a network of sewers to collect wastewater. And in some cities, including Rome, Istanbul, and Fustat, networked ancient sewer systems continue to function today as collection systems for those cities' modernized sewer systems. Instead of flowing to a river or sea, the pipes have been rerouted to modern sewer treatment facilities. But until the Enlightenment era, which was which was around the 18th century, um, little progress was made in water supply and sanitation, and the engineering skills of the Romans were largely neglected throughout Europe. This began to change in the 17th and 18th centuries, which, with a rapid expansion in waterworks and pumping systems. The tremendous growth of cities during the Industrial Revolution quickly led to terribly overpopulated Overpolluted streets, which acted as a constant source for the outbreak of disease. And people wealthy enough to enjoy 19th century flush toilets often had the political power to allow them to drain into public sewers, and the practice became the norm as indoor plumbing became more common. And as cities grew in the 19th century, increasing concerns were raised about public health. And as part of the trend of municipal sanitation programs in the late 19th and 20th centuries, many cities constructed extensive sewer systems to help control outbreaks of disease such as typhoid and cholera. And originally these systems discharged sewers directly to surface waters without treatment. Um, and later cities attempted to treat the sewage before discharge to prevent water pollution and waterborne diseases. And during the first half, and during the half century about around 1900, these public health interventions succeeded in drastically reducing the in incidence of waterborne diseases among the urban population and were an important cause in the increase of life expectancy experienced at the time. So in, uh, in the UK, in the late 19th century, sewage systems were actually 
quite inadequate because of the rapid industrialization and the uh, waterborne diseases and like cholera and typhoid remained a risk. And from as early as 1535, there were efforts to stop pollution of the River Thames in London, which began with an act passed that year that was to prohibit the dumping of excrement into the river. Leading up to the Industrial Revolution, the River Thames was identified as being thick and black due to sewage, and it was even said that the river smells like death. I can only imagine. So after the Great Stink of 1858, Parliament released the urgency of the problem and resolved to create a modern sewage system. And the Great Stink was an event in central London in July and August 1858, during which the hot weather exacerbated the smell of untreated human waste and industrial effluent that was present in the banks of the River Thames. So Joseph Bazalgette was the civil engineer that was given the responsibility of coming up with this sewage system. And he created an extensive underground sewage system that diverted waste to the Thames estuary downstream of the main center of population. And six main interceptor sewers, totaling almost 100 miles in length, were constructed, some incorporating stretches of London's Lost Rivers. Three of these sewers were north of the river, the southernmost, and the intercepting sewers constructed between 1859 and 1865 were fed by 450 miles of main sewers that in turn conveyed the contents of some 13,000 miles of smaller local sewers. And construction of the interceptor system required 318 million bricks. And in Paris, France, in 1802, Napoleon built the Orc Canal, which brought 70,000 cubic meters of water a day to Paris, a day, while the Seine River received up to 100,000 cubic meters of wastewater per day. And the cholera epidemic of 1832 sharpened the public awareness of necessity for some sort of drainage system to deal with the sewage and wastewater in a better and healthier way. So, uh, treatment of the Paris sewage was left to natural devices as 5,000 hectares of land were used to spread the waste out to be naturally purified. And further, the lack of sewage treatment left Parisian sewage, popu- left Parisian sewage pollution to become concentrated downstream in the town of Clichy, effectively forcing residents to pack up and move elsewhere. And the first comprehensive sewer system in Germany was built in Hamburg in the mid-19th century. And then in 1863, uh, they began constructing a modern sewage system in Frankfurt. And 20 years after the system's completion, the death rate of, from typhoid had fallen from 80 to 10 per 100,000 inhabitants. That's a pretty big uh, jump there. So, in the USA, the first sewer systems in the United States were built in the late 1850s in Chicago and Brooklyn. 
and the first sewage treatment plant using chemical precipitation was built in Worcester, Massachusetts in 1890. So toilets. Um, with the onset of the Industrial Revolution and related advances in technology, the flush toilet began to emerge into its modern form. It needs to be connected to a sewer system, though. And this is not feasible or desired. And where this is not feasible or desired, dry toilets are an, an alternative option. And a dry toilet is just simply pretty much a hole in the ground. Like, uh, this would be your, you know, outhouse kind of thing. So the S-Bend pipe was invented by Alexander Cummings in 1775, but became known as the U-Bend following the introduction of the U-shaped trap by Thomas Crapper in 1880. Yes, uh, one of the pioneers of toiletry was Thomas Crapper. Uh, the first screw-down water tap was patented in 1845 by Guest and Crimes, a brass foundry in Rotherham. So, uh, this S-Bend pipe, you, or U-Bend pipe now, uh, you, you, you see it underneath your sink, and uh, it's usually involved with the toilets in some fashion, but it is to bring in water and to keep out the smells of the wastewater that has been sent out by trapping water at the bottom of the U and preventing the gas from the other side from pushing through. So one of the early ways of water treatment was a sand filter, which uh, Sir Francis Bacon attempted to desalinate seawater by passing the flow through a sand filter and it did not work, um, but it began a new interest in the field, and so sand filters were being used to try to purify water since 1804, at least, and it was refined in the following two decades by engineers working for private water companies, and in culminated and it culminated in the first treated public water supply in the world installed by engineer James Simpson for Chelsea Waterworks Company in London in 1829. And this installation provided filtered water for every resident of the area, and the network design was widely copied throughout the United Kingdom in the ensuing decades. So, uh, practice of the water treatment soon became mainstream, and virtues of the system were made starkly apparent after the investigations of the physician John Snow during the 1854 Broad Street cholera outbreak. Snow was skeptical of the then-dominant miasma theory that stated that diseases were caused by noxious bad airs, although the germ theory of disease had not yet been developed. John Snow's observations led him to discount the prevailing theory. And the Metropolis Water Act introduced the regulation of the water supply companies in London, including minimum standards of water quality for the first time. So in 1879, William Soper used chlorinated lime to treat sewage produced by typhoid patients. 
and it might actually have been the first attempt uh, to use chlorine. And in 1894, Moritz Traub published a paper proposing the addition of chloride of lime to water to render it germ-free. And in 1905, there was permanent water chlorination when a faulty slow sand filter and a contaminated water supply led to a serious typhoid fever epidemic in Lincoln, England. And in the United States, the first continuous use of chlorine as for disinfection happened in 1908 at Boonton Reservoir, which served as a supply for Jersey City, New Jersey. And also, fluoridation is another form of water treatment, and it has been carried out since the early 20th century to decrease tooth decay. And the practice remains controversial, actually. So, that will be it for part one. Um, whenever we can't get together again to record, and I am without John, I will head on to part two of um, the history of plumbing. So, yeah, this first one is just the water supply and sanitation, but uh, we'll get into toilet design and different things, um, plumbing systems and such. So stay tuned. At some point in the future, you will get a part two. But for now, um, go ahead and like us on Facebook and go over to iTunes and rate and review us. And I would like to thank Helen Morgan for our theme song on uh, this one. I will be using that one for whenever it's just one of these solo episodes. And I would like to thank Mary Stafford for our outro song. So thanks again for joining me. I was Eric, and this was the Wikipedia Chronicles.